The epistle is from 2 Peter, chapter 3. Know this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 25th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick, or in prison, and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. 
and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. We don't have too many of those folks around, these parts at least, who stand on a street corner with a sign in their hands saying, the end is near. You don't see that. Maybe you do. I, I don't see that around here. But if you go into the city, you might see that. Back in Chicago, there was a van that drove around regularly with paint all over its sides. The end is near. Bible verses plastered everywhere and a loudspeaker on top of it that would broadcast something. I never paid attention because, of course, when you see something like that, when you see someone standing, holding a sign saying the end is near, how do you usually react? You think they're out of their mind. They're crazy. You scoff. That's our instant reaction. After all, everybody knows it's not a decent thing to do to stand on a street corner and make everybody feel bad about you and about the end of the world. Instead, let them go about their business. Let them go to their Starbucks and go to their office and let them take care of themselves. Just leave them alone. Why are you in the way with that sign? The end is near. We are prone to scoff. And St. Peter says that that is what scoffers do. First of all, know this, that scoffers will come in the last day with scoffing following their own sinful desires. What do they do? What do we do when we scoff at the news that the end is near, when we kind of laugh at it or dismiss it or think that it's no big deal or maybe just the realm of religious fanaticism? What do we do? We deliberately overlook the facts. That's what Peter says. Deliberately overlook the facts. After all, it is discernible to anybody that this world is falling apart. It's like a giant trash heap in so many ways, full of all kinds of garbage and refuse, and it is not getting better. For those in the world who think that the end is near, there's always this hope that maybe if we do a little better, we can actually stop the end from coming. Maybe we can save the world yet, but really, the world is a trash heap. Here's how St. Peter puts it. The world is stored up for fire stored up for fire, literally like a trash heap that's bound for the incinerator. And we, all of the people of this world, are like a bunch of squirrels digging around in that trash heap thinking, hey, this is a pretty comfortable place to live, nestling in with the diapers and the broken glass, not reckoning with the fact that this is not a permanent dwelling place. That this is all going to be burned up. That is a trash heap. Deliberately overlooking the fact. That's how this world regards this news that the end is coming. It's like in the days of Noah. Picture it. I'm sure you've read Bible story versions of this story that imagine what it was like for all of the people around as Noah was constructing his ark. Nobody could miss it. It was a monument bigger than this church building. It was enormous. And there was no rain. There was no flood. Sure, Noah could say, the Lord has said he will send a flood, but we've never seen that before. There's never been a flood to wash away every living thing on the earth before. And what are you going to do? You're going to build an ark to save you from such a flood? You're out of your mind, they would have said about Noah. And so they ate and they drank and they were marrying and giving in marriage. And then the heavens broke loose and the floodgates were opened and they were all washed away. Deliberately overlooking the fact that their wickedness every one of them doing what is right in his own eyes, their wickedness warrants 
judgment. Really, you don't even have to look at the world around you to know that the end is near. Just look in your own heart. You know what sin deserves. You know what the wages are for sin. It is death. The judgment is at hand. If that doesn't make you tremble, then perhaps you are senseless. Perhaps you have not been listening. It should make you tremble. The end is near and we deserve it. We deserve what is coming for this world because of our sinful desires. That's what St. Peter says is the reason why the scoffers of this world deliberately overlook this fact. It's because of their own sinful desires. After all, sin seems pleasant for a time. For all of the alarm about the world and its fate and its state, people continue to do whatever it is they desire. That really is the theme of our world. Follow your heart. I was just reading about that song that Frank Sinatra sang and made famous from 1968. That's the first time he sang it. My Way. You know that song. Do you know that this is one of the most popular songs at funerals? For a long time, it has been one of the most popular songs at funerals. Listen to the first verse. I wrote it down because it's stunning. Frank Sinatra, a prophet of the end, he says, Now the end is near. And so I face the final curtain. My friends, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I have lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. But more, much more than this, I did it my way. What a confession that is. Of course, it's not a confession of sin. It's not a confession that leads to repentance. Instead, it is a confession of pride. I did it my way. That's how the world lives. That's why the world scoffs. To Frank Sinatra's credit, I I read that his daughter said sometime after he died that he hated that song. (laughs) It was stuck stuck to him like gum to his shoe because, listen to this, he recognized that it was self-absorbed and self-indulgent, and yet he couldn't get away from it because it's what everybody wanted to hear. After all, if that's how Frank Sinatra lives, then maybe that's how I can live as well. But he knew, even if he didn't know the solution, he knew that that's no way to live just following the desires of your hearts. That is what brings the end. That's where the end comes from. That's why the scoffers overlook this fact, that the last days are here. So heed this warning. Watch out. Watch out, lest in your hearts there be this scoffing spirit. God says that the time is drawing near. In fact, the time is closer now than it ever has been. It's been near since Jesus came. The end is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. And so let us repent and believe. Watch out. Here are three ways that this scoffing spirit shows up in our lives. And the first is very simple. It's when we choose sin over righteousness. When we act like little children who think that mom and dad aren't watching. When we act like those who don't imagine that God can see everything that they're doing. Repent. Repent of your sin, for the Lord sees it all. And you heard in the hymn, the book will be opened on the last day, and every last thing that you've done will be exposed to light. And so, turn away from sin. Do not think, oh, I have time for just a bit more. The time for repentance is now. The day of salvation is at hand. When we choose sin, we let that scoffing spirit take root in our hearts. And we lie to ourselves, saying, God will never judge me. Surely there's not punishment coming from my sin. It's never happened before. You hear it 
The same thing the world, the world says about God's judgment. It's never happened before. Why should it happen now? Here's another way that we join in that scoffing. It's when we worry. As though God has not promised to take care of us. As though God has not promised a kingdom for us. Listen again to what Jesus says. What the Son of Man and the King says to the sheep. Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That is, the promises of God are not momentary or fleeting. It's not just, oh, I had an idea. Here's a good gift for you. But it is from the foundation of the world that God has prepared for you a kingdom. And so, you need not worry. When we worry, we betray the fact that we believe God won't do what he says. That he won't fulfill his promises. We become scoffers. We join in with the spirit of this world and we lose sight of God's glory. Here's the third way that you might entertain this scoffing spirit, and that is to be apathetic. To not care, to be indifferent, to think that none of it matters at all, that it's all going to pot anyways, and so why does any of this matter? Why does it matter what I do, what I think, what I say, what people around me do? Just forget about it all. It doesn't matter. Listen to how much it matters. On the last day, when Jesus calls the sheep and the goats before him, what does he ask them? He asks them what they have done. What you do matters. And while the evil deeds of the goats follow them into judgment, look at how the righteous deeds of the sheep follow them into heaven. Right now, in faith, when you do good works according to God's law, according to the love that he has given to you, those are deeds which follow you into eternity. It all matters. In fact, it matters so much more than anyone could ever imagine. It matters, and so, live now as though the end is coming. And so you want to bring treasures with you into heaven. Not treasures that moth and rust can destroy and that thieves can break in and steal, but treasures that do not fade away. The love of God, shown to your neighbors, to your friends and your family, to strangers, to people who need it above all else. Do not be apathetic. Watch out. Watch out lest there be in you this unbelieving and scoffing spirit. The end is at hand. Now, St. Peter asks a question, and he kind of drills in for some more detail. He says, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness while you wait for the hastening and the coming of the day of God? What kind of people should you be? How should you live your life? Pay attention again to how Jesus regards the sheep and the goats. He asks them, about what they have done. But note specifically that he asks them about what they have done for him, what they have done to him. The judgment, in a very real sense, is based on how you treat Jesus. Now, you are all good Lutherans, and you know that you are saved by grace alone through faith alone, and this is not of yourself, but it is the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. But that is what faith does. It receives Jesus. It hears his words and believes. And that is the basis of the judgment. Have you received Jesus? When Jesus came to you, did you turn him away? Or did you say, yes, Lord, let it be to me according to your word? When he came to you as your savior and rescuer and said, I want to forgive your sins. I want to take them all away from you and cast them as far as the east is from the west into the deepest parts of the sea. Did you say, no, I'd rather hold on to them? I'd rather have them on my own. I'd rather deal with them myself. Or did you let him raise you from the dead, bring you out of the grave, and into his kingdom? 
When he came to you as his king and his lord, did you reject him? Skeptical, thinking maybe he isn't a good king, maybe he isn't a good lord, maybe his commands aren't righteous, maybe he means to do me evil. Or did you say, yes, Lord, whatever you say, yes, Lord, you are my gracious king. Did you bow down in worship? Or did you stand off at a distance and watch him go by? Or worse, like the crowds, would you have yelled, crucify him? Now, before you think to yourself, this is easy peasy. If Jesus shows up, I know what I'm going to do. That guy, I'm going to recognize him right away, and I'm going to bow down, and I'm going to hug him, and I'm going to say, thank you, Jesus, for everything you've done for me. Before you think how easy that may be, remember how Jesus comes to you. First of all, he comes to you in the cross, a sight at which every one of his disciples fled, a sight at which even his closest disciple, Peter, denied Jesus. Before you think this is easy peasy, before you think that you've got this in the bag, because if Jesus shows up, you're definitely going to welcome him, pay attention to how he comes to you. When Jesus says, whatever you have done to the least of these my brothers, you have done to me, he's talking First of all, about his apostles, the people that he sent to preach the good news to the nations. It's like when he sent out 72 disciples to go from one town to the next. And when they went into a town, if they knocked on a door and the people there received them, Jesus says, if they receive you, they are receiving me. But if they reject you, if there's no peace found there, Jesus instructs the disciples to brush the dust off their feet, to leave them behind and say, even the dust on our feet we leave behind in judgment against you. For those towns in Galilee, what mattered was not Jesus showing up face to face and whether or not they received him, although they would not have done that. What mattered was whether they received his apostles, the messengers of his good news. This is how Jesus comes to us. He doesn't come to us looking like that, someone you would love to embrace. But he comes to us in suffering, in loss, and in grief. And through people, through ministers of the gospel who are frail and weak and sinful just as you are, he comes to us in ways that we would never expect. This is why it always makes my stomach turn when I hear things about other pastors. When I hear bad reports about other pastors. Pastors are, are weak and frail and sinful just like everybody else. We make mistakes. We don't do the things we, the way we should. We are imprudent. We are sinful and prideful just like everyone else. And yet... Pastors are the called servants of Christ to minister the gospel. Don't let yourself be found speaking ill of another pastor, or of me for that matter, but don't let yourself be found speaking ill of another pastor. At least don't tell me. They're God's called servants. They're the ones we should receive with graciousness, with love, with charity, because they have been called to bring us the good news. And Jesus says, whoever receives them receives me. If you want to get to Jesus, this is the thing that's so hard about this lesson. If you want to get to Jesus, you don't get to go directly to him. You don't go straight to go without, you go straight to go and collect $200. That's not how it goes. Instead, you go through his means. Obviously, through the means of grace, through his word and through his sacraments. But also, look at this. Through the hungry and thirsty, through the strangers and naked, through the sick and the prisoners. Those are the ones we're called to love, and in loving them, it is Jesus that we love. In receiving them, it is Jesus that we receive. Do it for Jesus' sake, 
Let the Holy Spirit open your eyes to see all around you how Christ is coming to you. How he's coming to you hidden. Hidden behind the things of this world that seem to be frail and fleeting. The things of this world that no one honors. We heard this last week in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who suffer, who are persecuted, who mourn, who grieve, who are meek. Not people who are honorable according to the world's standards. Jesus comes to you through them. And so receive them. Receive them like Rahab received the spies coming to Jericho. She knew who the Lord was. She knew that his judgment was at hand. She knew that unless she was on God's side, and that meant unless she was with God's people, she and her family would be lost. Join yourself to God's people, the least and the lowliest, those who seem to be nothing in this world. Join yourself to them. Be charitable to them. Be kind and merciful to them. And do it for Jesus' sake, because in doing so, you honor Jesus. And Jesus looks forward to, on the last day, honoring you. Now, this is the amazing thing about the last day. You've heard it now. You know what you should do. You know that it is the weak and the lowly, the sick and the strange, the naked and the prisoners. It is the frail and weak ministers of the gospel. It is the trivial means of grace, God's word and his sacraments, some bread and wine, some water. It is all of those things that God comes to us through. So you know that you should receive those things. And yet, look at the surprise of the sheep on the last day. Jesus says to them, you welcomed me. You fed me, you clothed me, you cared for me, you visited me, you showed me mercy, you showed me kindness. And they say, Lord, we never saw you. Where were you? They were surprised. And that surprise can only come from genuineness of faith, from love which flows from faith, from the gift of God. Do not try to love others as though you're racking up points, as though you're trying to gain credit. Don't listen to God's word as though you're somehow stacking up merit that you can bring before God's throne. Instead, listen and believe because God loves you. Serve your neighbors because God loves you. Be merciful and kind and charitable because God loves you, because he has loved you first. That's the starting place. If you want to get this right, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to love God and inherit the kingdom of heaven, start with this. God has loved you. He came to you while you were weak and lowly, while you were an enemy of God, while you were doing everything that was right in your own eyes, while you were scoffing and standing at a distance and wanted nothing to do with him, he came to you and he paid all of your debts, forgave all of your sins, so that look at this, on the last day when that book is opened, all of your sins have been credited to Jesus. That book is going to be opened and you're going to see a bunch of things that you did and Jesus' name is attached to them. He's been merciful to you, having wiped away your debt. As far as God's concerned, you are the most righteous and blameless person there ever was. Let that be your starting place. And let that be what liberates you, what frees you to live as though the end is at hand and as though all of those around you in need deserve your mercy. You have been given so much, so give freely. You have been given so much, so be generous and kind and charitable. You've been given so much, so praise God. Praise God, your creator, your king. And give him glory now and always. Amen.